You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Well, today we're going to talk about the signs of the times. Last time I spoke, we talked about being ready. Are you ready? Jesus is coming back again. How many believe that? There's going to be a rapture of the church. How many believe that? But there are some signs. Matthew 24, verses 1 to 22. Now I'm just going to read the first three verses. Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, Not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. These were big stones. If you look at the the wailing wall, it was something like that all around. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? I just want to give God glory today for the way that he is improving my health, my strength, my energy. And uh, I'm beginning to feel like a brand new man again. So praise the Lord for that. It is amazing how much We look for guidance from signs. In fact, we would be lost without them, wouldn't we? This has an impact economically, socially, and on the ministry of the church. Signs are very, very important. On April the 27th in 2014, Mark Wade and his family heard the sound of tornado sirens in their town of in Ar- Ar- Arkansas. They also saw the urgent warnings on their TV. They were planning to ride out the storm uh, in a closet under their stairs. And uh, the phone rang, and it was their neighbor inviting them to come and join them in their storm cellar. So they thankfully agreed and went over with him, and they all got into the storm cellar. And when the storm was over and they came out, there was nothing left in the town, just foundations. Everything else was rubble. And this is just one example of how recognizing and heeding warnings can protect us from danger. Our forefathers understood the signs that precede bad weather. From where I came from, 
little outport town on a little island off the island of Newfoundland. Signs were very important. There were years, in my younger years, there was no such thing as a TV, just radio. And oftentimes a, a hurricane would be up on you before you knew it. It was only hours before it struck that people know, and you'd, sometimes you look and you see people running around, and what's the problem? You find out that there's a big storm coming. In modern times, meteorologists are constantly improving their knowledge of, uh, and tools to predict better warnings for storms. They're getting better at it, and many lives are being saved because of it. The same is true for monitoring man-made dangers, like terrorism, in today's world. But we want to look at some Bible indicators today. There are key signs, key biblical indicators, that we should constantly be watching for. We can be aware of the times in which we live if we just check our Bibles. Jesus chided the people of his day for not recognizing the biblical signs of the times. Religious leaders tested Jesus, asking him to show them signs or miracles from heaven. And Jesus compared their knowledge of the weather with their understanding of prophecy. Matthew 16, verse 22 to 3, he says, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather. For the sky is red. In the morning, it will be foul weather. Today, because the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky but you cannot discern the signs of the times. As a boy in Newfoundland, I remember during the summer times fishing with my uncle. He was a commercial fisherman. I remember depending on these signs more than the forecasts. We were out on the fishing grounds about four o'clock in the morning. And we would be there when the sun would start to rise. And when that sun rose, if the sky turned red, we knew that it was going to be windy, going to be stormy. And so my uncle would keep his eye on the wind. A certain amount doesn't matter. You're always going to get some wind in Newfoundland most of the time. But there was a certain point in which he would say, Hayward, it's time for us to go in. And while we would be going in, there would be 10 or 15 other boats on their way in at the same time. All of these men knew how to discern when it was time to get off the fishing grounds. 
Because if you had a, a good load of fish, you could swamp your boat if the waves got too high. There is a, such a thing as clouded lens, seeing through clouded lens. My granddaughter, Libby, wears glasses. And I don't know how many times I've seen Effie take her glasses and clean them because she'd hold them up to the light and they were just clouded. You wonder how she could see anything. We're often influenced by the environment around us into seeing through clouded lens. We take the easy way out and allow people we put on pedestals to think for us. But we need to develop a different lens to enable us to see clearly for ourselves. Without beating around the bush, that lens is the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? It's not in books or DVs or YouTube. It's not people who you don't really know that has developed a name. Now, don't get me wrong. Pastors, evangelists, teachers, books, DVDs can alert us. But the word is what brings clarity. What does the word say? Remember when Moses led Israel to Jordan, intending to take them over to the promised land? That was God's plan. But Moses sent out spies, and ten of them came back with a negative report. It was contrary, completely contrary, to what God had spoken had promised. They were blinded by looking through the clouded lens of human reasoning. Ten men said it can't be done. They're bigger than us. There are giants there. We are like grasshoppers in their eyes. They were blinded by looking through the clouded lens of human reasoning. Peter speaks of the same clouded lens. In 2 Peter 3, verses 3 to 4, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust or their own desires, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Does that sound like today? When I was a young man, there was a lot of preaching about the second coming of the Lord. We don't hear too much about it today. It almost sounds like a fairy tale. 
everything is going on as it was. The early disciples expected Jesus to come in their day. Now over 2,000 years later, he still hasn't come. Where's the promise of his coming? Did they get it wrong? No. He goes on to point out that God's eternal timeline is different from earthly timelines. God actually has a reason for the seemingly delay of his coming. We should be so happy that we woke up this morning and Jesus hasn't already come. There's an opportunity for a loved one to come to Jesus Christ today. Thousands of people all over the world are giving their hearts to Jesus even while we speak right now. Because he has delayed his coming. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 8 and 9 says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. The fact that he hasn't come doesn't mean that he's not coming. He's delayed it for a reason. He's not willing, the Bible says, uh, first of all, let me say, his promises, as some count slackness, but his long-suffering or his patience towards us, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He has heard your prayers for your sons, for your daughters, for your husbands, for your wives, for your parents. He has heard those prayers and he's doing everything possible to allow them time to get into the kingdom of God. If I stop here, you may assume that reason has no part in our Christian faith. But nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible itself tells us what faith is. Biblical faith is not blind. It's strong, warranted confidence that we have in a creator who's made some promises that he will keep. You can truly say about Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, promises made, promises kept. Hebrews 11, 1, verses 1 to 3. Now faith, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. 
so that the things which are seen were not made by things which are visible. God spoke the word, and it was so. The phrase hope for does not imply a mere wishful thinking, as in, I hope we get good weather this week. Rather, it indicates a confident expectation that God who spoke this word is true to his promises. It will happen just as he said. The kind of confidence we have when we have a good reason to believe. For example, when we believe that God will keep a promise, this constitutes faith. Because we cannot see it, and yet we have a good reason to believe it. Because all of the promises of God are yes and amen to those who believe. God has already demonstrated that he keeps his promises. Every one of you in this room have experienced something of the promises of God in your life. And I can say that with great assurance because God sends his reign on the just and the unjust. You don't have to be a goody-goody to receive from God's wonderful supply. If you're not serving him, you'll miss out on a lot. But the very fact that you're here in this building today tells me that God is good to you. As many People have misunderstandings of faith. They also have misunderstandings of reason. Reason is a tool that God has given us to allow us to draw conclusions and inferences, inferences from other information, such as the information from the Word of God. And if you haven't read your Bible through, at least once. Shame on you. Everyone has a, a, a smartphone today. You can pick your, your favorite rendition and read it. Even though some of the words may be different, there's enough in every translation to lead you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and give you faith to believe him for the, for the exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. Reason is an essential part of Christianity. God tells us to reason. Take Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. 
We don't know how it happens. We can't explain it. But just by saying, Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me, I received Jesus into my life, it changes you on the inside, and you just, you just sense his presence within you. And you know that you know that you know that you're born again, that you're saved, you're ready to go with Jesus if your heart were to quit beating right now. The Apostle Paul practiced reasoning in his teaching. In Acts chapter 17, verse 17, Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. God expects us to be reasoning based upon the principles of his word. That's where we go wrong. When we go to human, human reasoning, that's when we get in trouble. There's nothing that can take the place of the word of God. <coughs> Cherish your Bible. <coughs> Excuse me. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. This calls us to use logical reasoning to draw this conclusion. I have genuinely acknowledged that Jesus is Lord. I believe that God raised him from the dead. And because I believe this, I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I confess that without him, I am lost for all of eternity. So I repent, I stop sinning, and I begin living a life that God wants me to live. I must be, use logical reasoning to draw this conclusion. We are to reason from the principles of God's word. People misuse reason when they frame their worldview world apart from God's word. We are never to attempt to reason in, the, in opposition to God's word. When you leave God's word out of the equation, you're going to get a wrong answer. Amen? <clears throat> this is exactly what happened when people refuse to consider the written word of God and insist, instead, base their reasoning upon popular opinion. Let's let the word of God speak for itself. Let's let the word of God clarify what we're saying here. Christian faith is the logical foundation of all reasoning. Proverbs 1, 7 says, fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
This isn't to say, of course, that non-Christians cannot reason. Rather, it simply means they reason through the clouded lens of human reasoning. In this case, the popular opinion of unbelief. You see, it, it, it is rampant in our world today. Outside of the church, that's all you will find is unbelief. And within some groups that profess to be Christian, there is so much unbelief. Reasoning is crucial to the defending of our faith. But we must always remember that Jesus saves. We don't save. We don't forgive sin. We didn't die on the cross. Jesus did. It is our job, it is not our job to convince the unbeliever and nor can we. It is the Holy Spirit working through us. We can share our faith. We can share the word of God. Holy Spirit does the rest. Doesn't that take a big load off your shoulders? You don't have to go around saving people. You just be faithful. Share your faith. Live the way you should live before your co-workers and your family. Holy Spirit will do the rest. He will do the convincing. He will do the convicting. Amen? It is our job to make a good case. It is the Holy Spirit's to bring them to repentance. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Same principle works today. Amen? You may share your faith with someone and think, whoa, that didn't go very well. That wasn't received very well. The next person comes along and shares probably the same, very same thing. And it gets a little better until somebody has the opportunity to say, would you like to pray with me? Would you like to ask Jesus to come into your heart? And because all of the rest of those people shared their faith and were rejected, but this one person is right now ready because the seed has been planted and watered. And now the soil of the heart of that person is ready to see Christ into their life. That's the way it works. In John 6, 44, it says, no, no one can come to me. Jesus is speaking. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. My part and your part is to be God's tool to help to draw them unto him. That's why the church is here. That's what we're all about. We're not just about being religious on a Sunday morning, doing our duty, spending an hour and a half singing, worshiping, 
listening to a little message, then go home and we've done our duty until next Sunday. There's more to it than that. We are connected to the vine. We are the branches. We are to bear fruit. Apple trees bear apple trees. Apples. Orange trees bear oranges. Christians bear Christians. Simple message, isn't it? But that's the truth. So, now I'll get back to the signs of the time. <laughs> Jesus defined end times as a time of great distress in hearts, in the earth, in political scene. He listed a number of signs to watch for. One, religious deception. Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. There will be wars and rumors of wars. It is something that has been going on almost from the beginning of time. Verses 6 and 7 of Matthew 24, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Then he goes on, he says, the end is not yet, but then he says, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. These are things that we are seeing happening over and over and over again. The world is in a mess right now. You have Russia and China and North Korea and Iran, just to name a few, that are very troublesome in our time. The U.S., who is basically the policeman of the world, hardly knows where to turn. We look at it and we hear the news. But unless you're a military person, you don't really understand the position that we are in today and how one false move 
can set us in a world war. How easy it is to have a nuclear war at any time or a nuclear attack. We are so, so comfortable in Canada. We know nothing about war. Our soldiers have gone out and given their lives across the sea for it, but we here have been kept safe and comfortable. We don't know what it's like to have to leave our home and all of our possessions and whatever we can carry on our back go on foot for miles and weeks on end to a refugee camp somewhere and be there for months and months and sometimes years and years. While we have, we're living in the lap of luxury, even the poorest of us. Then there are famines, Jesus said, verse 7. And there are pestilence or epidemics, viruses and plagues. Earthquakes, various places. These things are increasing all of the time in places where it's never been heard of before. All of these, Jesus said, are the beginning of sorrows. That's a lot of stuff to happen to just be the beginning of sorrows. The worst is yet to come. Persecution of of the followers of Christ. Speaking of the Jewish people, he said, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. They will, you will be hated above by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and deceive many. Another thing that will happen is lawlessness. My, oh my. What a terrible, terrible mess we are in. The very liberties and freedoms that we had and enjoyed has been twisted until we don't have much freedom anymore. But if you think it's bad around here, just thank God that you're not in one of those third world countries dominated by the ungodly ideologies. Matthew 24, verses 12, 13. Because of lawlessness, 
will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. You got to keep on believing. You got to keep on trusting God. You got to keep your faith strong. You got to be men and women of prayer. You keep focused on Jesus, folks. It may get worse. It may get a lot worse in Canada yet. We pray, we hope, but we're coming to the end. And every time there is a downturn, and when that downturn begins to go up again, people think, oh, that's a lot of hogwash in the Bible. Things are going better, you see. Now my, I just got a raise. I got a better job. I'm making more money. Everything is okay. But folks, every time that we have gone through a cycle like we have gone through in Alberta, it is more than just as usual. But Christians should take it as a warning sign from the Lord that there's an end coming. We're getting ready for a conclusion. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all nations. Verse 14. Matthew 24. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then the end will come. There's hardly a place that the gospel has not reached in some way, shape, or form. And let me remind you of something. Some of the places that are the most ungodly right now had the gospel preached to them in the first century. So I'm going to conclude here. Luke's account of this same exhortation says that this is the time that Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies. The abomination of desolation, desolation is called, spoken of in Daniel. That has basically taken place. The first time it happened was in 170 BC. The Syrian king at the time went into Jerusalem killed a lot of people, offered a pig on the altar in Solomon's temple, killed the people who would not worship him. But understanding, understanding all of this, he says, 
This assault will be sudden and immediate. He said, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Folks, there's going to come a time when on Fox and CNN you will hear breaking news and they will be announcing that this has happened suddenly. This is what the Bible refers to as a time of Jacob's trouble. And he says in verse 21, For then there will be great tribulation, such as had not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh, no flesh, that's no human flesh, that's human people, it's not talking about spirits. It's talking about human people. No flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. That doesn't mean that the, God's plan is, is, is shortened. It's just showing that how awful, how terrible this time is. That the appointed time that God has will come just as he said it would. Understanding the signs of the end times is not just an intellectual exercise. Jesus gave these signs as warnings that are intended to motivate us to change. Let the world go on as it is. Let them do all of the dirty gummy things that they want to do. But let the church of Jesus Christ be strong. Let us stand for truth. Let us stand for the word of God. Let's be men and women of prayer. Let's be men and women of the word. Let's be people who are looking and listening for the sound of the trumpet. Because the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and those who are left and remain who are serving God will be caught up together them, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. In Luke 21, verses 34 to 36, Take heed to yourself, lest your heart be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape these things which will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. We should watch the signs of the times, but also the signs 
of our own spiritual state. I need to worry about me. Probably worry is not the right word because I got a message coming up on worry. But I need to be concerned about my life. May we escape all these tribulations and things that will happen. That great escape can only mean one thing for the church, the glorious rapture. Folks, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.